you're a successful woman. There's no reason for you to be intimidated, but it is hard to become, you know, one of them. And there just wasn't a lot of women in those roles back then. I mean, we had to like go find each other and there's only one person that crosses the finish line. So yeah. that would be the person that gets sort of the glory, but all four of them recognize that it's a team in order to get that one person to cross the finish line. That sounds a lot more like a team. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Pitch Cafe podcast. This is a place where I bring you face to face with some of the most amazing minds on the planet. This is a place where you pitch world-changing ideas over a cup of coffee if you have it. Today's guest is no less than a change maker and a game changer. To me, all she had to do was one small gesture of applause. Applause to what? There was this amazing panel at the International Women's Day at Falcon X B2B Accelerator and there was a panelist who was talking about cheering homemakers, giving them incentives, standing up for them. And only one hand went up in applause and that was Mona Sabe. And that's when I realized this is the person I must bring on my podcast. And guess what? After she did that, the whole audience were roaring with applause and they supported this cause. Do you realize how women have underplayed their role over several centuries? Even though we are in the modern age, past 21st century, today also we are underplayed. We need voice like Mona here to bring about this change. And that's exactly what I want to do in this podcast. All you girls who feel your voice can't be heard, this is the podcast you want to listen to. Without further ado, let's bring on Mona Sabe. She is industry leader, community builder, corporate strategy expert. But today, her role is chief corporate strategy officer at user testing, a board member and advisor to several causes and women empowerment initiatives. Mona, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's so exciting to be here, Vida, and I want to just maybe jump in before you even ask me a question because I loved your introduction, and it made me think of a presentation I used to give a while ago about leadership, and the presentation really is about, and it's based on a lot of you know books and research articles that have been printed, but when you think about the definition of a leader, mm-hmm. it really means that you have followers, right? There's... Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a leader, you must have followers. And when I talk about that to people, sometimes they get a little confused. Like, I'm not sure that's not not how any traditional leadership book talks about leadership. They talk about certain skills and management skills and confidence and all of that stuff. But definitionally, you cannot be a leader without followers. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting thing is that the first follower that you try and get is the hardest one. And because people generally don't want to jump in and do things unless there's already a critical mass of people around them that are doing the same thing. It's our natural human instinct. And Mm -hmm. so leaders are people who are willing to be the first one out there and Mm -hmm. stick around long enough being the first one out there, which is really sort of um, a position of vulnerability, because if nobody joins you, then you sort of look a little silly, right? But having the courage to be the first one out there and stick around long enough until you can bring other people along. And 
when you talked about like me being the first person to clap, it, I mean, it wasn't that courageous of a thing to do, but I do think about so many people I know who could become great leaders, but it takes that courage of being out there alone and vulnerable for mm -hmm. long enough for other people to join you. Amazing. Mona, that's why I wanted to invite you. What an amazing thought to open this podcast with. So let's really get to know Mona Sabe. Who is this person who can live with such amazing ideas and share such amazing ideas? So Mona, here is my first question to you. Who is Mona Sabe? Is she a venture leader, a techie, a woman and a diversity champion, a simple girl with big dreams? Who is this woman behind you or who are you? That's um, it's a hard question. That makes me think I'd go down a lot of different paths, you know, and this makes me think of um, a TED talk that I heard a while ago that I also, it's one of my favorite TED talks ever. It was by a Nigerian woman, um, yes. Shimamanda Adichie, I believe her name was. I don't know if you've uh, ever watched it, but you should. I, she talks about the danger of a single story. Have you have you watched it? Yes, yes. It's, isn't it awesome? Yes. Um, so, so you remember this, like she talks about the danger of being painted into the single story. And uh, when you ask me this question, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to answer you. I don't want to pick one of those things because I am not, none of us really are single story. But sometimes when I'm providing advice or mentoring younger women, I often tell them that the first thing you say out there in a moment of critical communication, whatever that might be, is just so important because as soon as you say that first thing, then people will paint that single story off of you. There was a, I think it might've been a University of Pennsylvania study that said that you develop an initial impression, 11 judgments of someone within the first seven seconds of watching them. Wow. And so, before your audience has even like listened to me speak, mm -hmm. just looking at me for seven seconds, they've developed 11 judgments about me. And so the first words that come out of your mouth are so important because it takes something like another 10 things to change an initial perception that you have of someone after that. So it's much harder to change perception. We're humans, we're a little, we're not, you know, perfect and rational. But I'll say things like, what if I came out and I said the very first thing I told you was, well, what I really am is I'm an immigrant. Mm -hmm. That suddenly makes people think this, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I am. I moved here to the United States from Canada and I moved to Canada from England and my family moved to England from Cairo, Egypt when wow. I was very, very young. But what if instead of that, what if I led with, I'm an investor? Mm-hmm then suddenly everybody's got a completely different opinion of me than yeah. if I led with, I'm an immigrant, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just so hard. And these, what she says is, I think she says, these single stories create stereotypes. And that's the point I'm trying to get across. You know, mm -hmm. the words that we use just generate stereotypes of ourselves. And stereotypes are not only just untrue, but they're very incomplete, mm -hmm. right? And that's why we don't like single stories. So I guess... I haven't really answered your question yet. <laughs> no, I don't um, think I don't think uh, you should be answering it because then it will showcase you in that framework. But you're much more than that. Is that right? I, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, I'm um, honestly 50 years of experience spread over four countries. And depending on where we go with this conversation, you'll learn one part of me. But I don't think anybody's going to learn all of me in uh, 
in an hour or less. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's try to learn as much as we can. So moving on to the next question, to me personally, what was most striking was after all the things you've done, you've backed three nonprofit organizations that are women centric and uh, they are women in data science, high power and chips uh, 2017. So, you know, I was wondering why so many and how did that happen? But it's not hard to see a person like you would you know, back such initiatives. But really, what's the story behind this? And how did that impact you? I did my undergraduate degree in engineering. I like to say back in the Jurassic days. And back then, I mean, it hasn't gotten perfect yet, but it's certainly much better than when I went to school. I was in an engineering physics program and I was one of eight women out of 180 people in the program. Um, and that was really, I mean, I'd never really thought about myself as a woman or a girl, I guess, before that, until I sort of uh, had that experience. It was interesting. I switched into chemical engineering in my second year, and there were more women in the chemical engineering program than the engineering physics program. And, you know, it's hard to understand why um, teenagers make the decisions that they do. But mm -hmm. I have to believe that sort of the, you know, evenness or the unevenness of the ratios had to do uh, something with it. My, I guess, level of discomfort in that. Anyway, that sort of set the uh, stage, I think, for me. I moved from engineering to law. I got my law degree. And while there's definitely more women in law than there were in engineering, in law firms, especially at the time, there were mostly male partners. And so I've had, you know, as most women have in their careers, a very male dominated experience. And I found that along the way, the best way I could actually help myself as I was moving on in my career was to either join or start a woman focused organization that was focused on a set of women that were relevant to where I was at the time. So CHIPS, for example, when CHIPS was founded, it was founded probably back in about 2005 or something like that. There was a group of women that we all just sort of sought each other out. And we were all women running very, very high tech roles, uh, running the head of intellectual property in high tech companies, very technically oriented companies. And there just wasn't a lot of women in those roles back then. I mean, we had to like go find each other and we found seven of us at the time. And so we started CHIPS to try and get more women in those roles and also to develop a community of women who were sort of in similar spaces as us or maybe a little bit more junior. And that has just blossomed into an amazing organization. Um, it's been, you know, easily over a decade. Most of I think all of our original founders have since moved on to do other things, but uh, organization itself is still bringing uh, women into intellectual property and in very high tech scenarios, you know, regularly. I would actually credit that organization for having really changed the face of women in um, IP and innovation um, in the United States. So, I mean, it's sort of exciting, again, back to what I said at the very beginning, you know, just having the courage to mm -hmm. begin something and not really worrying about where it's going to end, but just having the courage and passion to start it. I and mean, you got seven women who were just like, hey, we're going to have this event. Mm -hmm. Let's see if people show up. 
And it was crazy how many people showed up. And then we started inviting some really significant speakers at one of our events. We actually had, before she passed away, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg speak. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so I got to meet her. Again, a lot of the stuff that I do, I do as much for me as I do for, you know, the organizations because I have amazing stories to tell. But the founders that created Chips and myself, I mean, we've become close friends ever since. And, you know, it goes to effort that you have to go through to build something like that and how it brings people together. Fantastic. What an amazing journey, especially you're not only empowering yourself, but the community along the way. And that is kudos. And you always stick to the definition you you have to have the courage to stand alone. That's amazing. So I want to ask about uh, this favorite question I get from women in leadership positions. So I'm going to direct that to you next. You've assumed several senior leadership positions in the past. What are the most important traits of a successful woman business leader? What is your mantra for success? Well, maybe I'll talk about my mantra for success. But before that, let me just start by saying that the one thing I think I've learned, I probably learned two things over my career. One is to never say never. That just doesn't work. But the other one is that, you know, leaders can come in a variety of different traits. I've worked with leaders who led in very different ways than I do and have been very successful. And I've uh, worked with others who have exhibited the same traits and been very unsuccessful. So I think What's really important is that like my approach to leadership doesn't need to be your approach or your audience's approach to leadership. It's most important is to like have a, um, I guess if I've succeeded to the extent that I've succeeded as being a leader, having a really clear leadership philosophy mm-hmm. that is authentically yours. And that doesn't mean that it has to be massively different from everybody else's, but it ha- has to be something that is really very you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of people that I either, you know, have worked with or maybe give advice to or have listened to, they just, I mean, they want to be a leader, but they don't have a philosophy around it. And -hmm. it's that philosophy that grounds you in Mm -hmm. how you're going to lead, right? Mm -hmm. But then after that, you have to be able to communicate it clearly. And, you know, there's a saying that says, I guess it was, I don't know, some scientist, maybe Pascal, who wrote a letter and said, I'm sorry, I made this letter so long, but I didn't have time to make it shorter. Being able to communicate concisely and clearly is a very hard thing to do. It takes a lot more effort than just me talking as I am right now in your podcast. So that takes effort. And then back to courage, having the courage to act consistently on it, because consistency is how people will start trusting you. The leaders that, um, and I'll call them leaders, that I think have not succeeded, that I've experienced in the course of my career are ones who show up differently all the time. You just don't know like what you're going to experience (laughs) in any particular day, right? That's a little scarier than having someone who's really hard-nosed and, you know, uh, tough to deal with. At least you know what you're going to deal with and you can choose. I'm going to be part of that relationship or I'm not going to be part of that. But the other one is just, it's terribly confusing. The lack of consistency also, I think, creates a brand Mm -hmm. in people. And I think that this is something that people really don't appreciate um, mm-hmm. When you're inconsistent, if you say one thing and but you keep doing another, your brand is lack of credibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced that yourself, right? Yes. yes. 
it's at a level it's a hypocrisy you would call and human beings intuitively don't trust such a behavior because you know it's it's just a defense mechanism there's something else out there something else is coming out i don't want to trust this that's right you don't know what's going on behind the curtain and you know you said the word trust trust as we all know is the very foundation of yes. you know being able to work uh in society as a team as a leader anything like that but we use the word trust and we don't know what it means and it really means consistency so that people know what they're going to get right so if you apply it outside of personal leadership and into the corporate world i love thinking about personal growth in terms of corporate growth because it's so much easier for people to understand it when i talk about business and then so much harder when they apply it to themselves personally right yeah um, but when i think about like you know corporate world mm-hmm. um companies develop a brand mm-hmm. and then they act against that brand and they make sure they have lots of people in the marketing department and the legal department making sure that everybody is being consistent against that brand we spend a lot of money in businesses yeah. making sure that the brand maintains consistency and there's a reason for that because then the people who are attracted to that kind of brand will become loyal followers and the people yeah. who aren't you know right up front that's not your target audience that's not the people that you're going to be leading with right yeah. and the biggest downfalls in corporate america are brands that have failed what they set out to promise to do right so you think about for example enron right which had a brand and perhaps it was like large corporate oil brand but it was still a highly successful brand until we found out that they were all cheating mhm 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 um and that's an extreme example but you can also find other brands that perhaps you know just did not live up to what they promised the world and therefore have just not been able to be successful so i bring that back to a person and if you have a clear leadership philosophy and then you're consistent about that yeah. then i think you're going to there's going to be some people who say i don't i don't like working with that philosophy and that's okay i think mm-hmm. one of the things that particularly women do not feel comfortable with is having people say i don't like that about you wow yes <laughs> yes mhm we we feel uncomfortable with it i think and i'm over generalizing here um but more so than you know your traditional alpha masculine trait and so but that's the most necessary thing is to realize that you're not going to make friends with everybody you don't apply to everybody you can't lead everybody and so you have to be comfortable and this is why it becomes authentic and the way i act when the way i lead can't be the way you lead because you're going to attract the people that are similar thinking to you yeah yeah as you lead them So, I don't know how does that ring true before I tell you about my leadership philosophies. <laughs> no, no, this is amazing. So you're essentially asking yourself to learn your own leadership style. That's the most fundamental thing we need to understand. And this whole example you gave about people not being comfortable with, if someone tells them I don't like that about you. I never thought about that. How much I try to modulate my behavior. So in fact, this person is not meant for my style of leadership. I I will never agree with that, you know. It's a very feminine trait. But no, yeah. this is a total revelation. I like that. Yeah. And, and this whole process of consistency, philosophy of consistency, I heard it from many mentors. It's definitely something to underline. You have to be consistent in your behavior to create trust. Great. So you kind of nailed it there. 
the the bare essentials of leadership but you had interesting frameworks there you know, i did I, last time please i i'm waiting for that for me personally and again this is me and i spent a fair bit of time thinking about how to reduce everything i believe in in a leadership philosophy into a very very small concise and clear set of statements and i have 3 of them and i put them up on my website so that everybody's very clear about who i am again a very vulnerable thing to do right but my 3 are and i'll tell you them and then we can talk about them one is confidence over certainty mhm mhm one is tribes over teams Mm-hmm. And my last one is why over what. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what my leadership philosophies are. And so what does that mean? So yeah. confidence over certainty in fact we were just having a conversation this morning where we had to, you know, we've been talking about how to approach a particular business challenge and we've been talking about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um and we keep having these conversations. and what i think we are looking for at least the team is looking for and what the team has said they're looking for is well we want more data we want more data we want more data and i truly believe that you know that's the certainty i want certainty before i act next mm-hmm. right and and that is probably really important in a few businesses where it's critical to know exactly what the consequences are of every step you're going to make before you make it so you know if i'm designing a space shuttle mm-hmm. uh you probably want certainty first also if you're designing a space shuttle you probably don't want me as a manager or a leader because it's not my it, it's not my strength it's not my leadership philosophy so i would stay away from those kinds of businesses right but for the vast majority of the businesses that exist in the world today you don't need to be as buttoned down as when you're designing a space shuttle real and yeah. in my opinion the real value mm-hmm. is that you're better off starting to work immediately rather than to analyze it to death right analysis paralysis so yeah. i think that it usually means that people have to combine what they know today mm-hmm. with the skills and experience that hopefully they've developed over the period of their careers which means that you need to really be the kind of person who's been absorbing a lot and you know sort of starting to develop some pattern matching i've seen this before we've tried this 10 times in different ways in the past this is how it worked out so i think that perhaps we should do it this way based on my good judgment of mm-hmm. what's happened before and then a very very strong reflex to course correct along the way as mm-hmm. you learn more things and mm-hmm. so that the confidence part the confidence that you have enough expertise experience good judgment or and if you don't on your own that you've brought the team yeah. around and together you're yeah. doing that and you're never going to know for sure until mm-hmm. you start acting right yeah um, one of my favorite sayings is fast gets good before good gets fast have you ever heard that uh no but i like it right <laughs> well it depends on if i mean it depends on the kind of person you are absolutely cuz i'm pretty iterative myself and yeah. i'm probably the person who moves first before you know i i like this break fast you know and uh, build things but then be careful don't build the wrong things but i like it yes <laughs> Yeah. yeah and so again you know it's not categorical statement you have to be able to iterate watch know yeah. exactly when you're going to need to change and mm-hmm. not just blindly go into things but this idea of needing certainty before you act especially in 
uh, projects that are basically change projects because it's not like you've done this 500 times before and yeah. it's basically status quo and doing it again and again, but you're trying something for the first time or the second time or the fifth time because you still haven't figured it out and hasn't become a road process. In those situations, waiting for certainty almost definitely just stops people from being able to move forward. And so that's essentially confidence over certainty. I'm in. Uh, I'm, a follow- I'm a follower already. So, <laughs> yeah. And the, so the next one. The yeah, second that's... one is uh, tribes over teams. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. Yeah, and this is this is probably I think this might be the one that's closest to my heart. I've been thinking about teams and teamwork for probably over a decade now and probably working with them I know for much longer than that. And I've worked with teams that have managed to accomplish like crazy things together more than we ever had the right to and I've worked with teams that couldn't accomplish much of anything even though that individually we were very very skilled and you know, I've been thinking a lot about what what the difference is between mm-hmm. those kinds of teams and i've decided that like we've almost ignored the real definition of a team and so i had to come up with another word <laughs> you know to to make it more and so that my word is tribe most of the people that i see in companies these days they don't even work as teams they work as groups mm-hmm. groups of people so mm-hmm. i was doing a presentation a little while ago and i was preparing for a race that a bunch of uh, my women friends and I were going to do together and I was thinking about how in that race it was you know there was hundreds of people lined up mm-hmm. and they were all running as fast as they can together in the race and so that could be a group of people and they're all working really really hard but they're all working really really hard individually in some cases there's two or three people that are trying to talk to each other and keep them each other motivated through the race but mm-hmm. it's sort of random and not organized and it's like a lot of energy on hundreds of people all working really really you could imagine just applying that to a company right let's say that's a company of 200 people and they're all running as fast as they can towards a finish line mm-hmm. but that's not a team That's not a team. Yeah, they're not aligned. Um, they're not doing anything together. They're not relying on each other. My son, my younger son, is um, on a track team. And so one of the things he does is relays. And what I really like about the relay is that there's four people on a team. Four, and they're all picked for the role that they can play best in each one of those four legs of the relay. And mm-hmm. so some people are really good, like, anchors for the end, you know, of the relay some people are the best at the beginning of a relay with the, you yeah. know, fast start and everything like that. And there's only one person that crosses the finish line. So yeah. that would be the person that gets sort of the glory, but all four of them recognize that it's a team in order to get that one person to cross the finish line. And that sounds a lot more like a team to me than a lot of the work we do. I think in many of you know the organizations that we've had experiences and you have to collaborate you have to be right on time you have to be able to pass that baton and not drop it while everybody's running when you think about how you know whatever you've done recently with people and how everything slows down every time you try and do collaboration well relay races don't have the benefit of slowing down as they're yeah. passing the baton right so they have to practice over and over and over again until they can do it together um, yeah. perfectly. And that I think is 
what we really should be talking about when we talk as teams about teams within companies. But then there's this one level more. Mm-hmm. And that's what I could talk about is when I talk about tribes. And I usually talk about them in terms of comparing them to like a Navy SEALs team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the times when I think I've had the best experiences in my career are when I've worked with a small group of people and I've done a whole bunch of like non-statistical analysis and decided that probably it's around 15 max and then beyond that it starts getting quite diluted Mm -hmm. and you create this sense of belonging so -hmm. that everybody feels and the language i like to use is everybody feels like they've got each other's back Mm. and that makes a huge difference yeah and you go through like crazy stuff together and it's just so hard and yet you're still sort of texting or email or slacking each other and killing yourself laughing because you're just so tired it's funny and then you've finished it all and you just feel like you've done something really special together and that I think is what we should all try and strive for that makes everything I think truly worth it fantastic so that's that's taking the teams to the level of a tribe according to you that's right awesome why why over what yeah my favorite one that's your favorite one tell me why yeah I relate to the others. Why over what is what I'm learning? So <laughs> it generates impulsive reaction. Why requires second order thinking? So I'm learning that. Absolutely. Hopefully I learn it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people are moved by context, right? Like nobody's motivated by being told what to do without being told why they're yeah. doing it. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody ever in the history of humanity, right? And yeah. it's so interesting because when we're busy and busy and busy at work, we have a very, very strong tendency to talk about what, either what we're doing or what we need someone else to do or what is going on. You know, there's a lot of what in our business, right? Um, And honestly, when I'm in a rush, I do it too. (laughs) So I'll send out an email and I'll say something like, "Uh, I need this to be changed. And I don't explain the fact that I've had conversations with a set of people and that resulted in me learning something new that I didn't know before. And that, you know, made me think perhaps this is what we do is less effective and relevant than it used to be. And that's all really important why information that if you said that, and if you just took the time to actually say that in a communication, you'll bring these other people who have to do the work on board or yeah. who have to follow you on board or have yeah. you have to build a tribe together or any of the things that I finished just finished talking about right yeah. so it's not what happens but why anyone should care you know why you have, should care. yeah yeah why anybody should care and I had um again if I think about a story that I had this was quite a while ago but there was a lawyer and she was trying to figure out how she could you know convince her law firm that she could get promoted to partner and I said well you know what does it take and she said well I have to bring in clients and I said great how are you doing that and she said well I got all these networking events and I, I mean I'm very outgoing I talk to people I said great what do you say to them and she tells me that you know she talks about what she's done and the cases she's won and you know all of this stuff and I said you know here's the thing I don't know there's probably about I don't even know, like what, a million lawyers in California? This is where, you know, we're located. (laughs) I could be wrong, but it feels like there's at least a million lawyers in California. And there's probably about 10,000 that could do the job that you're doing. Let's be honest, right? For any one of us, there's at least 10,000 people that could do the job that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So it's not what we're doing. 
Yeah. It's why we're doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's, you know, the third and most, you know, one of the most important of my uh, leadership philosophies. So one of my first books was on purpose of life. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your inner guide? So for me, if I look at the individual level, even for you, for self introspection, why is very important. Why yeah. do I exist and what is the reason for my existence? So I think that the third one is like uh, uh, the, the, a very deep philosophy probably at, at, runs at many levels. So with that, you know, I could keep asking you a lot of questions. <laughs> You're a gold mine. I also talk a lot, so I apologize. <laughs> That's good. It gives us a lot uh, of visibility into your personality. I want to ask, you are uh, a board advisor and you are an investor. And what is it like to be to have a seat at the table uh, with a lot of men how how do you navigate that challenge it's not easy it's definitely not easy so how do you manage that and i think the good news is that i probably couldn't tell you i'm sure it's not easy as a board advisor and as an investor and i'll tell you why i mean the one board member board that i'm on has three women so you know oh, that's, that's great, great. Mm-hmm. and uh the other board that i'm on is like an early stage startup and our meetings are more like discussions they're not as you know formal as board meetings and they're amazing discussions even though you know they're with the male founders and sometimes with the other advisor so i don't really feel like in that situation it's not like this you know heavy vc board with a bunch of men and and me um, <laughs> and my advisory boards uh i've always taken the approach of not and maybe this is intentional i haven't really thought about it but of not like suggesting that we meet as a full on advisory board with a ceo but i've always just um suggested that it's more useful if each of us just talk to the ceo directly about the areas that we're an expert in and so i have a lot of strong relationships with the ceos that i've been mm-hmm. on the advisory board of you know from the perspective of being a board member or advisory board member i have i guess the pleasure of being able to say that i haven't had that experience now from the perspective of being an employee that has had to present in front of corporate boards it definitely is it's interesting how intimidating it is Yeah. For uh, yeah. even and you know I can walk out or walk in or think about it before and say, you know, you're a successful woman. There's no reason for you to be intimidated. But it is hard to become, you know, one of them. There was a one board it was in many many uh jobs ago and uh, you know every time this was back pre-covid obviously and so we had in-person board meetings and every time we were getting ready to have a board meeting in the boardroom the board members would start talking about you know uh hey didn't you go skiing in Jackson Hole last whatever oh no is hella skiing wow that's just so you know they talked about all this stuff that you couldn't get in to yeah. be able to feel like you are part of a natural conversation <laughs> and even and i mean i'm a skier and yet they still didn't want to talk to me about that it wasn't interesting for them to talk to me about that they wanted to talk to each other about that and so yeah i've had the intimidating experience in the past <laughs> yeah so it looks like you found your own way to you know get past that yeah you- i've chosen the organizations and the boards that i choose to participate in i don't put myself in a situation where um i'm just going to be stuck in a corner like that <laughs> yeah this aligns with your leadership philosophy that's what you started with 
if somebody is following you or you follow someone that means you align with their philosophy and it's very you it doesn't have to be for the mass audience and i'll even say you know the board that i'm on with three women it was one of the women that suggested that the company bring me on the board and so that goes back to you know the groups the women's groups that i've been a part of or started i mean it's those groups that have helped me find these roles with mm-hmm. women supporting women and you know women tribes getting together to make sure that we have each other's back and so it's all just sort of connected i wouldn't have even had the opportunity had i not been part of these women's groups and um by the same token they know like the kinds of boards that i would be good for and yeah. we all get to be together on the board instead of having to be one, only the sole this is so true oh, mona i am part of a few groups in my own small league but i do everything i can when uh, my, my my peer comes to me because i know her situation and uh, it goes the other way around as well so i'm going to continue to do that I yeah. have some strong validation coming from the top so I'm going to continue to do that. So uh, this is amazing. Uh so you you are definitely an out of box thinker. I can uh, say that just just by the way you uh, lived your life. So you know I want to keep going but let me in the interest of time I'm going to ask you uh, this one fascinating question. I get a lot of great answers when I ask this. What does it take to raise confident girl children? and what does it take to raise uh, healthy mentally and physically healthy kids in today's world i'll tell you i have um two boys so but i'm raising boys that i think are very very aware that as a society we need to be more inclusive i mean they're i'm just proud of them in so many ways they're so they're actually better than i think my husband and i are in many ways uh and how we think about things so i think uh i have a lot of faith in the next generation but i do believe that you know the biggest thing i think about children is being able to raise them with resilience mm-hmm. it's the one thing yeah. I, you know there's so much in the course of a career or a lifetime where things happen and you know while things have happened to me they certainly haven't have the things that have happened to me haven't been as bad as some you know things that have happened to some people i mean when i meet friends that have and they tell me and you know we finally get vulnerable with each other and they tell me the things that they've had to go through and how strong they are today it it just makes me so impressed and i think that that's what i want my children to be able to be like and i think that if there's you know if your children grow up with resilience and mm-hmm. um you know i work at user testing uh, i think you started off the uh with that one of the things that i love about user testing is that our mission is to create a movement for empathy we're focused on empathy and we do that by making it really easy for organizations to get real perspectives from real human beings so not bots not algorithms not all the things that we're worried exactly. about in society today but yeah. real people and how they react to you know our customers products and offerings and it's all really about impact and empathy and so i think the one of the reasons why i love working at user testing is because it's like a lot of the things i think about are that's exactly how you want to raise your children too right mm-hmm. empathy and resilience and yeah. you know it's probably the best you could do <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's really good advice if you're looking at the corporate world the kind of roles women assume even in the society as leaders 
the most important thing they lack right now is resilience they don't push back or they don't stand on their own they are looking for some sort of validation and empathy definitely mona this is the future of the fourth industrial revolution we want purpose centric organizations we want organizations where employees are not resources they are treated as humans That's we right. want human centric organizations we've got to move from data centric to human centric and we don't have to like we've just gone way over to one side and we yes. just have to come back to the middle and you know yeah. i mean we don't have to have i i, I don't believe in organizations that are 100% focused on empathy and the employee and nothing else we are businesses and we must make a profit but right. you know i truly believe that i mean we talk about dei a lot and i feel like the whole diversity equity and inclusion has you know developed a certain set of biased uh reactions that aren't helpful anymore but mm-hmm. if you have a company that is focused on employees being empathetic to each other mm-hmm. then i figure you solve about half of your dei problems right there yeah yeah that's right such a great way to uh, you know wrap up this session on the note of empathy mona i want to let you go before that any last thoughts before we wrap up this podcast it's just been like a a great opportunity to talk to you thank you for inviting me on your show <laughs> awesome thanks mona and we'd love to have you back and uh, we'll stay in touch thank you so much thank you awesome